When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to episode 74 of Knife Talk. With myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, Mareko Malmasi of Malmasi Fire Arts, and we're down. We're down. We're down a host. So Jeff is currently in Barcelona. Um, I think he's bullying Toma. We, we, we've had some some secret footage um, from Barcelona. I think he's bullying Toma. Catchphrase. You should have a catchphrase. All right. Make one for me and I'll say it. All right. Here's your catchphrase. I'm with you. That's your catchphrase. Say it. I'm with you. Perfect. Yeah, I think I think he's bullying. Wow. I think he's bullying Tomer. I think so. There's bullying in the workplace, but they they seem to be having a good time. Yeah, I actually haven't seen a whole lot of it, but I'm sure they are. I've seen a couple of posts, and it looks like it. It does look like they're having, and I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, traveling abroad is probably one of the best things anybody can do for themselves. But you know, Jeff works so hard. Like I think it, I think it's awesome that he's getting, even though he's there busting his ass still. I think it's good that he's getting out and abroad, um, and getting to hang out with some other uh, knife makers from across the world and and Spain. Spain's a beautiful country, and yeah, eating, there's a lot going on there. Eating some good food by the looks of things. I think Toma knows the good yeah. places to eat. <sighs> Definitely. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But it got me thinking. I was thinking. I mean. I was hoping to get out there and meet the, meet the two of them as well, but I've, it's just too much going on, so I can't. I'm flying back to the UK again tomorrow, and it's, it's too much going on. But it got me thinking that I bet, even though they do very different sort of styles of knives normally, Jeff and Toma. So for those who don't know, sorry, Toma is Florentine Kitchen Knives. Beautiful, beautiful knives. Mm-hmm. I Just recently featured in, the, what, the New York Times? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but I bet they're learning so much from each other. Because what oh, they do is so different. And it got me thinking, who would I like to spend time with? Who do you think I could learn more from? So I was scratching my head today. So Toma, definitely. If, if, you know, if nothing else, just to get out for the food, because the food looks great. Um, yeah. Fingal Ferguson, I was thinking I'd love a trip over there. He seems to have an amazing setup. And I just, the finish of his knives, I think I could learn a lot from this sort of similar style knives to what I do. So I think Fingles. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think, Mareko? Who do you think you could maybe learn the most from or you'd like to spend time with? Fingal would, Fingal would be a really good one. Um, 
That's it. We need, we need to book the trip. That's it. That's it. I'm, okay, that's I'm sure it. he's got the space. <laughs> I've seen his big like pizza guy. oven. We could have a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, and he's, you know, he's an active, what he's in, his family owns an active farm mm. where they, they, what we call ranching in the United States, but raising like animals for butchery and they make their own cheeses and I'm sure plenty of other, yeah. you know, harvesting vegetables and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, if I could work with, anybody um you know there are actually there's a maker that i featured in my um in my calendar um his name's vitali bedrick he's on instagram vitali underscore bedrick i believe uh but he he does incredible i think he's a jeweler by trade and you know so many russians do phenomenal work Mm. um and he does incredible handle sculpting and carving in his in his handle handles. There, it's his stuff is just absolutely. I, I really, really, really admire. And he does a lot of really cool leather tooling. Um, there, I, th- I feel like somebody like him. There's something to learn a, fr- a lot from. I'll say um, really quick. Also, uh, Andre Anderson, I believe hmm. he's in he's in the Scandinavia somewhere. Um, but he's also another phenomenal maker that I would love to learn from. I've I've been admiring his work for a, a long time, probably five six years, when I first discovered his stuff. And uh, it's more, it's like neo, not neo. That's the wrong word. I was gonna say Neolithic, but that's not. It's it's just like a new, more, more modern version of uh, like pukos and traditional Scandinavian knives. And he does a lot of crazy cool engraving. Um, and then he makes his own Damascus and stuff and it's phenomenal, uh, steel that he's making. So, and Scandin- yeah, Scandinavian, the bro. food there is going to be incredible too, I bet. Yeah. 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 I'd love to go to Sweden. Oh, lovely. Lovely. So we've gone off tangent a little bit, haven't we? So we we normally talk about what we've been up to this week. So so I'll kick things off. So I've been working on well finishing off some big batches of of restaurant knives that I've needed to get out the door. I've had problems with shipping and all sorts things being returned and having to send them back out. It's it's, shipping is my biggest nightmare. Always is, but that that's all sorted now. Just finishing a batch. Um, I talked last week about the the big project that I've got coming up with with this chef. We're doing a signature series of knives and the rest of it. Um, he's very sort of experimental. So we've been experimenting with um, different plastics at recycling. So All right. I talked again last week about finding this material, which is basically just a recycled um, food packaging. Um, it, and you can make it – it's almost like a G10 makes this amazing handle material. So we've we've done some testing with this. A few things we're not completely happy with. So we, we've been trying with with other stuff, and um, you mm. know, unbeknown to me, there's so many different plastics. There's PVA, there's uh, ABS, there's HDP. There's there's so many. Most of them begin with P, poly, something or other, and they all melt right, at different right. points, and they all got different type type of strength tests. Some can be injection molding, some are just compression molding. There's all these different things. So. Basically, I've had my science hat on this week and just and doing lots of that. So it's been very, very different, but but lots of fun. So I'm heading back to the UK tomorrow to sort of report my findings there. Um, but yeah, mm. I've basically turned into a scientist this week, which is which is brilliant. To do, awesome. Brilliant to do something else. But on top of that, I've had the stress of finishing the other night. Oh, a lot going on. Yeah. So 
I'm assuming. I mean, I was, I was just thinking it would be cool to see a video comparison, kind of like how you did the steals. But I am guessing that that's probably that's probably not uh, in the works anytime soon. With so with as much as you got going on, yeah, it's um, a time thing, I suppose. Yeah. But I'd love, I'd love to do yeah, more of sure. that. Those sort of experiments, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely a time thing. Uh, how you mentioned a few episodes back that you were uh, auditioning for a cooking show. Yes. How's that going? Um, or maybe maybe you can't talk about it. <laughs> You'd have to be uh, it's going well. redacted later. Um, oh, basically, okay. I'm not allowed to talk about it. Not allowed to talk about it at all. Um, sure. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> okay. But you you <laughs> may have noticed on. that there's very little happening on my so- social channels at the moment, uh, certainly for CHOP. Sure. Um, for that reason, and also this this big project that I've got, there's going to be NDAs and stuff involved. So it's it's really frustrating not being able to share what I'm doing because I'm just the busiest I've been in a long yeah, time. Yeah, all the secrets. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so happy for you, man. And it make it makes for a terrible um, podcast because I can't really talk about much. <laughs> no comment. No exactly. Comment. Yeah. No yeah. comment. <laughs> so, what about yourself? What What have you been doing this week? Uh, well, so like I talked about last week, I had an issue with Damascus blades, so I got some material forged back together today, or not today, but uh, this past week, and got the blade forged out, went through heat treatment, everything, grinding, did all the finished grinding. The knife is awesome and super solid, mm. but I'm a little concerned about the actual pattern, and not that the pattern is bad and unusable ever, but it's just, I, it doesn't have the activity that the customer is looking for. And, I, and this is, this is a, something I come up against from time to time. It's just, you know, you go through all this process and, and then you finally get the reveal of the pattern in the actual blade. Like even in the, in the material leading up to the blade, it's looking good. But sometimes when you get it forged out, excuse me, get it forged out and stretched out, stretched and moved around into a blade shape. Sometimes it doesn't look right, and you kind of got to bite the bullet and basically start again. Oh. And so I actually have to I, I have to forge new material um, to make this to make this happen. And uh, and is this so the finished this... knife that you've shown? So you've completely finished the knife and you're redoing? Oh no no no! I'm sorry that that one. Uh, you mean the one I just posted recently? Yes, just like in the last yes, day. Yeah. Or two, yeah. That's that's the one that was that has kind of like my Polynesian inspiration mm. on it. It's that's not the one, right? Okay. Uh, I actually finished that knife about a month ago now, but I never posted about it. I, my wife was actually telling me, you know, oh, you should post about that knife. I was like, oh yeah, I already posted about it. I looked through my Instagram feed, and it turns out I never did. Uh, I did have a draft lined up though <laughs> so i just basically posted that up so you did the work um, but not the not the sending i did everything <laughs> but post the damn thing so i posted it um and got some photos out and that was the knife i was very happy for mm. and um but yeah so this other one it's this pattern i call it uh tidal wave uh damascus and essentially it's got this like it looks like a series of waves or a set of waves rolling in down the blade yes. and the the one I just finished, it's it's not as curvaceous and active in that way. It looks really interesting. Actually, it looks like uh, an old like tree trunk, like twisting up in the pattern, uh, repeating down the blade. And uh, it's it's a neat 
pattern. I like it. It's just not the right pattern for this hmm. build. And so I'll, that will be another one added to the wind chime for now. Oh, jeez. Um, oh. <laughs> so when you speak to a customer and they have their, yeah. um, their order with you, do you sort of draw out the pattern, how you see the pattern go in? Uh, a lot of customers, they will ask, well, um, actually, let me back up again. Uh, on my website, I have a page that called Damascus Patterns, mm. and it's a little dated now since, uh, you know, basically it's the pictures that I had as I was just starting or after the first year of working. Um, and so, but it's essentially supposed to be a gallery that people can go through and look at and be like, oh, I like that pattern or I like this other pattern. Um, I've since then done probably at least three or four times over as many patterns. And so I actually refer people to my Instagram, just cruise through. And mm. if they see something they like, um, let me know. Uh, or if there's something they've seen out in the world, let me know. I can, uh, I can take some inspiration from it, but I, I, especially there are certain patterns, especially by makers like Bill Burke or Jason Morrissey. I just will not copy because that is very definitely their style. Individual. To and them, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, very, very individual. But, you know, like W's Explosions, anything that's kind of standard, I'm happy to do, uh, or anything that I've done in the, in the past. But anyhow, uh, that is part of the conversation. And they say, oh, you know, and they, I, I actually encourage them to send me pictures of of the patterns that they've seen of mine that they like, just so I'm very clear about what they're describing and looking at. Uh, I do the same actually for like blade profiles. Cause people will say, you know, I want a, a, a Gation Hige style Gudo. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell that means. Can you send me a picture? <laughs> and so, and basic, and basically it looks like the same kind of Gudo. Like Gudo's are pretty standard looking. Some have a little bit more of a point to them, but for the most part, they're, they're generally the same. That seems like seems like a lot of admin and to and fro with the customer. That that's mad. There is there's there is a lot of back and forth, mm. um, which I'm happy to do because I want to be clear about what what I'm building for these people before I send it out, yeah. or even do the work and send it out. And the last thing I would want is for them to get the knife and be like, and then them have just be unhappy with it. Um, and so I, you know, I try to do a good job of sending photos as well, just to, as, as we're moving along, just so that there's, we're still on the same page. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I've heard horror stories of makers, uh, actually people I don't really know. Uh, so I won't be naming any names, but just saying, you know, too bad, too late. I already did the work and just <laughs> like ditching the customer basically. <laughs> Um, so that sort of big the, reveal part, at the end, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's not what I basically." Want. Oh, and then, like, geez. exactly, and I'm just like, I do not want that nightmare. Mm. Um, one, because I just I would feel terrible, but two, like the way that re- how that can negatively reflect on your reputation these days yeah. is is uh, worrisome in, in a big way because you know maybe if somebody even only has like maybe 500 followers and. Um, if they turn around and put that out there in the world, you know, grassroots and word of mouth is the best way to grow your reputation and community, but it's also the the best way to basically destroy you. I'd say um, particularly for you as well, because what you do is super, super high end, and there's only a small bunch of you that do that. So you probably got a lot of customers who maybe are collectors who, you know, they may have knives from, you know, the top five guys. So if someone were to go wrong, yeah, you'd, you'd all pretty much know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so 
So it's about making sure they're getting what they want and covering my own ass, basically. <laughs> what you need to do is, here we go, you know what you should do. Um, ha- oh, yeah, have, like, have like a production run and just get them all done and just like, it is what it is. They would fly out of the door, I'm sure of it. Sure of it. Yeah, I would love to do that, actually. I mean, I think that's part of my long-term uh, plans. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, as soon as I can get to them, the better. Mm. But... Yeah, I just got that backlog, and so it's 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 a tricky balance trying to figure out how to work those things out, and you know people have already been waiting, and then trying to figure out how to tell them, oh, I need you to wait longer so I can do this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. but I'm figuring it out. It's a balance. It's a balance. I'll, get, I'll get there eventually, it's for sure, for sure. So that's what we've been up to. Shall we move on with some? Marco Malmasi again reporting from a basement. Um, <laughs> I had so we're, this is KTP news. This is where we talk about some of the news that uh, we've heard about happening out in the world, as well as what's going on with us a little bit. New news: uh, calendars have started landing. People have been tagging and posting me, posting about the calendars. A lot of very positive feedback. Uh, I really appreciate it, uh, especially because they were a, kind of a big pain in the ass getting all the dates in craig you got some coming towards you i don't know if you knew that yeah oh, wait, you do yeah i ordered, you I ordered it obviously um well yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it looking forward to it well i appreciate the support but yeah getting all the dates in um and i did this <clears throat> excuse me i did this thing where i like kind of highlighted them with different colors and you know they fade in from the day they start and they fade out on the day they end the different events some of them are only one day so it's that's just the one day um but yeah getting everything and getting everything lined up i i completely underestimated how much work that was going to be <laughs> um but in the future i i might be doing things different but anyways the calendars have started landing um if you got a calendar and you're digging it Send me, uh, you know, tag me up in your story or on your Instagram post, and uh, I'll be sure to sh- share that back out. I appreciate the support, and so anything I can do to give you some love back, um, I'm happy to. Excellent. But that's what I got for news-wise. Um, other news. So we talked last week about um, a an award being made, which was the, the Lee Bennett Memorial Award. Um, uh, the guy mm. from 7K Metalworks. Uh, he, I'm not sure if he actually made the award, but he certainly came up with the idea, and he, and he, and he had the award. Um, to give to somebody who's done great work within the community. And this is a memorial for Lee Bennett, who was a British maker who unfortunately passed a few months back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a winner. So it was announced at Knives UK, which is the, the UK knife festival, knife show. Um, and the winner is one of our listeners. It's Jimmy Pye. So I think oh, I think nice. he's Jimmy Pye number one on Instagram. He does lots yeah. and lots for the community. Um, I know he answers a lot of people's questions. So a great, great guy. So congratulations, Jimmy. You were the first winner. Congratulations, Jimmy. Mm. We've we've had some other news in um, from Spain. So we've heard that Jeff. Now again, this is this is inside. So I'm, I'm going to whisper into the microphone so nobody knows. Jeff is Jeff is actually quitting making knives. I think. Um, the rumor is Wait, he's about to open a paella school in New York. Really? So he's he's learning all these new paella skills and new tricks. Um, so yeah, that's that's it. It's um, please, please send him a message. Please, I'm begging you. It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> it's like he's in. But, it's like he's in the room with us. It's like he's here with us. Please <laughs> stop the madness. I'm begging you. It's enough already. <laughs> So other news. Um, so Evenheat, one of our sponsors, and they've 
they've been with us since day one. Even Heat are fantastic. We all use Even Heats. We all love our Even Heats. Um, but Absolutely. one of the issues we've had is getting an Even Heat in Europe has been difficult because obviously they're made in the US and all the rest of it. But there is a new distributor in Europe. So Even Heat have asked us to give them a shout out. It's, it's Multi-Tool Products Europe. Um, and that's their name on Instagram. Um, and I think the guy is John. I've spoken to him in the past. Um, but basically, they have Even Heats landed in Europe, very good price, ready to ship. Um, so if you're one of those people who've been complaining you can't get your hands on an Even Heat, now you can. Mm. Now you can. So it's yeah. multi-tool products Europe. It's a great machine. I've been doing all my heat treating on mine since I got back, mm. especially. In this heat as well. In this heat, doing heat treat. Oosh. Hot, hot. Ugh. Well, especially stainless because of how hot you got to mm. take it. That like doubles down. Yeah. Uh, I do have one, actually, one more note on the calendars. If anybody has any issues with, if they don't get a calendar, then they ordered one and they in the next couple weeks, then there's definitely been an issue with uh, shipping. So get a hold of me and let me know. Cool. That's it. Cool. Cool. And that's the news. So I want to talk about one of our sponsors. Again, they've been with us for a long, long time, and we love them. It's Combat Abrasives. So I use them for all my abrasives. I know Morocco does. I know Jeff does. And Jeff even took some to Spain with him as well. They're, they're fantastic. So particularly enjoy their shredders, which are their sort of lower grit, their 36 grit, their 60 grit ceramic belts. They just eat through steel. So CombatAbrasives.com. We've got a special deal where if you put Knife Talk 10 as a promo code in, you're going to get 10% off. So that's your abrasives. They even do handle materials, epoxies. They, they do lots. And even if you've got a, a machine that doesn't have a sort of standard, maybe 2x72 or 50mm by 2000mm belt, they, they can make belts any size you like. And I know one of our listeners has, has these crazy big belts made this week. Very, very affordable. So... Give them a shout. It's Combat Abrasives. Follow them on Instagram at Combat Abrasives. If you're buying anything from them, let us know. Tag us. Tag them, and we'll share it out. And everybody's happy. Everybody gets the discount. Everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They. You talk about them eating steel. They just posted up a thing uh, on their Instagram of somebody just jamming a chunk of steel into the into uh, like that right edge mm. of the the platen, and it's just eaten through it like it's nothing i think they called it grinding steel like it's butter yeah uh it was pretty amazing to watch it and it just kept going and going and going and going and then you can usually when you're watching the belt you can see the uh the abrasive kind of starting to deteriorate and wear down it doesn't look like anything's happening to that uh to that belt and steel just keeps getting munched on Mm. the the shredders are serious work the shredders are amazing yeah i love them Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> this is the part of the show hosted by uh, Jay-Z. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> it is this is our Q&A portion of the show. This is where uh, folks get a chance to, this is where you as a listener actually get the chance to help drive the conversation, ask that burning question, whether it's about knife making or if it's about, uh, you know, relationships or just things that are happening in your world and you want to you ask us a question about. But anyhow, uh, mostly it's around life making, so let's stay a little focused. Uh, I'll kick it off. So this first one, then, is from at LJ Penn. It says, how thick should I grind the edge of a knife before heat treat and before sharpening? I'm making hunting in everyday knives. Mm. Hmm. 
What do, what do you think? It's going to be, I think we're going to give different answers to what he wants because, I mean, he's doing hunting sure. in everyday knives, so he's probably using a much mm. thicker stock um, and he's probably got, I don't know, something like a Scandi grind or something like that. Um, and the, he's, going to want a, he's going to want something which is a lot more robust than a chef's knife, which is what we do. Um, yeah. But with regards to grinding edges before heat treat, I don't do any at all. So I, I once I profiled my blade... Um, it's completely flat. I then do my heat treat that way, um, simply because I've had issues in the past with warping, and I just find it difficult to get rid of warps. Um, I just find it, you again, using shredders from combat abrasives, they're going to eat through your hardened steel anyway, lovely, um, as long as you keep things cool. So I tend to not do any grinding before heat treat anymore, um, and that mm. seems to work for me. Um, and before sharpening, he's asking the thickness of the uh, the edge before sharpening. Um, I don't actually know. I've never I've never measured it, um, but I basically do it so it'll cut paper. If I can cut paper with it, and I then put a final edge on, so this sh- this this edge is is virtually it's virtually ready to go. And I'm putting this tiny tiniest micro bevel on there, um, and that's yeah. that's with my sort of full flat grind. But yeah, I think it's going to be very, wow. very, very different for a for a hunting or a, an EDC knife. What about you? Because I know you 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 did that drawing the other day, didn't you? Showing your thicknesses um, uh, along your full oh, profile. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, are you grinding before heat treat? I am grinding before heat treat. Um, well, I mean, I guess if if my blade is after being forged um because as i mentioned before sometimes you want to not forge too close to dimension when you're doing damascus Mm. because of how much it could distort the material um so if it's any thicker than about two 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 millimeters or an eighth of an inch approximately um then i'll pull it down some um but if I forged it and it's it's around an eighth of an inch or just underneath or so, then I just leave it full thickness and heat treat as forged. Um, but if you're going to grind, I guess in general, if you're going to do any kind of primary grinding before heat treat, um, I, I, I've definitely taken blades too thin. And recently I've been finding, at least for my heat treating process, that anything below 20 thousandths, uh, which already sounds pretty thin, mm. is too thin, and it just causes too much craziness on the blades, and especially warpage and wiggles that are j- basically impossible to get out. You, you get these waves, these tight waves down the edge. So I try to stay thicker than 20 thousandths, but typically I'm heat treating around 50 to 60 thousandths of an inch, uh, which is about one millimeter, uh, I believe. <laughs> and... Um, and so, and then when it comes to grind, or I guess how thin to grind it before or before sharpening, especially on an everyday carry and a hunting knife, or basically any kind of harder use knife, I try to stay around. I, I don't go any thinner than twenty thousands, but that's just a general rule for me. Mm-hmm. I don't really do a lot of them. If I did more, I would probably, if I did more EDCs and hunting knives, and actually this would be a great opportunity to pull somebody up on the show or ask, <laughs> have somebody who does more of those style of knives um, and has a lot more experience. But anyhow, um, they, I try to, t- I try to keep them, or I try not to go any thinner than 20,000. Um, the only reason I, I do that is 
just from my own testing and because of, of my own heat treat and you know hammering on an antler uh, a dry hard antler uh, you'll see a lot of makers like the Drogers do this. Um, you know, Jay Nielsen does this. A lot of makers will edge test their their blades uh, before they move too too much farther. One to to test the, uh, the geometry of the knife, but also the heat treat and by chopping into an antler mm. um, and to see if it can handle the wear. Um, and I found that for my heat treat process, about twenty thousandths is about the the least or the thinnest I can take it um, before sharpening. Um, but again, this is going to vary depending on how your knife is heat treated, basically. So I advise that you just do some testing. Take maybe take it. What I've have done in the past of just taking it too thin. And started chopping on stuff, and then basically pull it back until it stops deflecting. Um, and I'm start starting usually with a deeper knife. Like I'll start if I if I have a knife that goes sideways on me, then uh, like you know Damascus wise or something like that. Then I'll just I'll I'll start doing destruction testing on it usually. Hmm. Um, and so I yeah, like I said, it, it's it's so I got the depth of a chef's knife, and I'm working from super thin, and I just you know, chop into something, blow out a chip, uh, because, you know, antlers way more work than realistically, like any knife shouldn't have to do, but especially for a chef's knife and a chef's knife geometry. And so I just keep pulling it back into thicker and thicker material until I no longer have issues with it. And I've found 20 thousandths is the way to go. Now you can obviously do that from the other direction too. You can start with kind of, uh, a little thicker than your standard thickness and just kind of slowly remove material um and i guess it probably makes more sense to do it that way now that i think about it uh because that way you can kind of just keep your sharpened edge and just carefully uh just grind off more and more material and keep testing with it until you get to a point where uh and making sure to take measurements and everything but get to a point where it is no longer performing the way that you ought to or you want it to so Hmm. That's what I got. I suppose That's an earful. It's, sorry. It's all, no, not at all. I, I think it's going to help. Um, sorry, it's going to differ with the, with the equipment that you have as well. So I mentioned on a, on a chef knife, I'll basically take it down to what some would call sharp anyway before I put on my final bevels. Yeah. Um, but that's only because I then I then use a, a, a Tomac for all my sharpening. So I know that when sure. I do my micro bevel, even though there's very little to play with, I know that it'll be uniform to the middle. Whereas I think if I yeah. were to take that to a grinder and sharpen, which I know a lot of people do, and you know you need to be very experienced to do that, um, for me at least, I know I probably wouldn't get them as even. So I'd maybe leave the edge a bit thicker in that case. Um, sure. So I suppose, yeah, yeah th- th- there's lots of sort of variables variables to it. But, uh, yeah, I think the main thing is, as, as you just mentioned really, with, it, with a hunting or an EDC knife, you're going you're gonna to need that thicker edge. Yeah, especially for hard work. Yeah. Hard working knives. Oh, yeah. They need that extra meat. Rick Hall Knives asks, well, his wife, Mrs. Hall, wants to ask a question of how do you juggle having a wife and kids and being a knife maker all at the same time? Oh, that's a, that's oh, yeah, a can yeah. of worms. That I'll, I'll you, leave that one to you to start with, Mareko. Um, <laughs> I... I think the best advice I ever heard was to just have good conversation and be on the same page. Um, and I'm fortunate to have, uh, to be married 
to a woman who very much understands and appreciates, um, you know, my talent and as well as my passion for what I'm doing and sees, uh, kind of shares my vision of where I want to go and, and what I want to do with the business and, and for us personally and sees it working. So she, I just, I have her support and, but when it comes to the kiddo, I mean, mostly, especially since we we're actually in Connecticut, my wife, um, was a stay-at-home mom, mom the whole time. Um, she, I think she's looking to get back into the workforce a little bit, um, basically for herself personally. But it's also good for the dude to you know get time with other kids mm-hmm. as well as other people. You always hear the old adage that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think actually the more positive exposure that he gets from other people, the better. I, or, or any kid in general, really. Um, so we actually are looking to try to get him into like preschool, uh, as, as early as possible, um, or early childhood educating. Uh, but the balance is tricky. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I see my son in the morning for about an hour, hour and a half before I head to work. And then I see him in the evening for about the same amount of time. And I help, you know, I do, I help put him to bed and all that stuff. And, you know, right now he's still pretty young, so he's pretty resilient, uh, when it comes to, um, just like the, the amount of exposure or experience, like time he gets with me. But as I, I understand as he gets older, um, it's going to be more important to, uh, to, to find that a better balance where I am getting a lot more kind of solid quality time. And I think what I would really love to most ideally do is only actually be working until about three or so in the afternoon, basically kind of planning for when he starts getting out of school in the next, you know, whatever, five or six years, uh, so that my day's done. And then it's just, you know, he and I can hang and do what we got to do or, you know, make dinner together or whatever. And it also, you know, helps take, you know, take a load off my wife, um, so that she's not, uh, you know, required or responsible, I guess, more, more so (laughs) responsible for him throughout the day, uh, all day long because, and probably by then she'll be working, but you know, it's just, it's just a lot, especially, you know, a lot of people for whatever reason don't really take, uh, child rearing or raising a child as seriously as a job but it's pretty important and and if you don't do it right then you get assholes like jeff out in the world (laughs) running around uh making dick jokes and harassing people (laughs) so (laughs) no jeff's a good guy this this sucks so (laughs) but i think the thing is we're not doing a nine to five are we this is you know this is something that we've sort of signed up to do because it's something that we love to do um, we're yeah. never going to be super rich doing what we do. So, you know, the, that nine to five, we need to, you know, times where we'll be doing 12 hours a day, you know, when an example is today, it's today is a Sunday. I know it's 6am for you, Mareko, you've got to do this podcast. Um, yeah. I'm here in France, whereas my wife and children are currently in the UK because I've had to come over for a week just to get work done because it's just backing up. It's, 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 I just think it's, you can make it happen. It you know, if it's something that you you love to do, you can make it happen. But you're completely right. You completely need the support of your partner. You, you know, if if she didn't believe in what I'm doing, and I'm sure it's the same with your wife, it would be almost impossible because we need to dedicate oh, yeah. the time. And if and if that's pulling on them and you know causing friction, it's 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 not going to be easy. So yeah, have, right. having an understanding partner is is is, is the big one. And, you know, if you're not loving what you're doing, 
it's maybe you should think about you know another job because there's a lot of sacrifices you know if and i think any job working for yourself basically any any job where you're working for yourself there's a lot of sacrifices so yeah there's no secret to it everyone's different and you know i hate to what what we found when when um my wife was pregnant is everybody had parenting advice for us but we we <clears> found very very quickly that everybody's different everybody handles things differently and there's no wrong or right yeah. way so just yeah just just go with it and if 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 you're passionate about what you do you'll find the time you'll find the time to do it somehow yeah so i, th- I guess to round it out the key is good communication and being with somebody who understands and appreciates your vision <laughs> or shares your vision for what you're doing relationship but who'd have thought this podcast would be doing a relationship advice every week <laughs> crazy yeah all right this next one is from jess Asufison. Asufison. sorry jess uh he says hey cuties could you please let us know anything that has made you more productive in the shop for me listening to the podcast has increased my productivity big time that's cool to hear uh i think it keeps me from getting distracted Interesting. I, I, most people I know, oh, well, not most people I know, the few people I've worked with, they are often actually distracted by anything that's kind of basically a podcast or a talk radio style, kind of anything, because um, they find themselves too engrossed with what the conversation is about and they can't do their work. Um, but I find I love podcasts and listening to audiobooks and stuff while I'm working. It, it works fine for me, and it sounds like it works great for Jess too. But for me, when it comes to productivity, I think I think one of the things actually that's helped me the most uh, has been making uh, kind of lists of order of operations. Because for a long time, especially when I was like first learning how to forge, um. You know, I would start forging a knife, and then I'd be I put the blade back in the in the heat, and I'd be sitting there looking at it, and I'm I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing next. And I thought it was so ridiculous that I was like, okay, I need to write down the steps so that I have an easy reference, and then eventually I'll get to the point where I don't necessarily need that anymore. But it all it just it helps cut back the time of sitting there and scratching my head and saying, what the hell do I do next? And I did the same thing, you know, with my uh, Japanese cowboy handle, you know, my faceted Western style handle is first few times. I actually, it was only a few, uh, was it a few months ago that I wrote down notes and I've been doing this style for uh, like over two years, like three years now. Um, but I finally wrote down notes about which facets to start with or which processes to start with to make uh, at least for me, to streamline the process of grinding that handle. And I think the same thing can be done about uh, the way, you know, I did. I actually did the same thing for how how I grind my blades, uh, you know, what, what are the steps for those, as well as handle assembly and all that kind of stuff. So I think making making kind of like a, a basically kind of a work booklet for yourself or an e- easy reference as to how you do your different processes or that you found you do your different processes to make them the most efficient for you uh for the way you work as well as your shop layout i think that is the biggest thing that i found that has helped me expedite my process uh, or i guess streamline my process it's basically keeping me from standing there and scratching my my head like a dummy trying to figure out what the next step is 
Yeah, I mean, I'm so easily distracted, and it's been a problem for most of my life. Where <laughs> I, I've, I've always, even as a kid, I always had a million and one hobbies, and mm. that, you know, that current hobby is everything. That's the whole world to me. But then there'll be something shiny just at the corner of my eye, and I'll see that. Then I'll go down this big rabbit hole, and that is the, you know, that's the center of my world from that point, and, that, and it keeps changing. Sure. So. That's something I've been aware of for, for years, so it's difficult. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. this week is a perfect example for me. So I've had to come back to to France here on my own just to get as much done as possible. So there's been no other distractions really. So um, actually, my my nephew has come out with me, so he's been giving me a hand because I've had quite a bit to do. So the way I've mm. sort of stopped myself from being too distracted by going off to do something else, which I you know which I'd enjoy. Um, I'm giving myself sort of deadlines. So I'll say if I can get these done by, let's say, 5 p.m., we'll head to the beach and go for a swim. Or if I can get this done, you know, by by, by a certain time, it'll be a reward, whether that's just sit and have a cup of coffee. Um, so it focuses my mind to get this this task done by a certain time. Sure. Um, and th- that's really helped me. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think particularly with knife making, because there's, there's so many sort of areas that you can – sort of get lost down that rabbit hole in and you know there's so much to keep yeah. learning that it's quite at times you can just spend the day and you just you're just learning whether you're watching youtube videos or whether you're you're chatting to other people mm-hmm. um and you're not actually being productive so that yeah. that's my biggest thing being productive is, is difficult for me so yeah i'm finding getting these little rewards um setting a, a deadline getting a reward then then going back to you know the, the next sort of process, give myself a reward again, and that that, that seems to work. But um, yeah, I like your idea as well of, ha- of having a list and almost like a playbook and being able to you know yeah. keeping you on, on track. Yeah, yeah, it's made a big difference, and I, I, I admire what you're doing. I actually, I know it works because I I watch my wife does the exact same thing, and it's any anything as little as you know she doesn't get to have a, a sit down and read you know, a chapter in her book and have a cup of tea mm. until she finishes certain, you know, like doing the taxes or answering email, helping answer emails and stuff like that or whatever she's got going on. Yeah. And um, I really admire that because I can't do that. I am so good at convincing my, myself that I don't give a shit about the cup of tea and reading the chapter <laughs> that I'll just, I'll just slack. I'm such a slacker. Mm. Um, <laughs> it drives me crazy. Um, but I, I've been working and trying to figure out what it is, you know, that, that I guess gives me that push that, you know, that works for you with that process of, you know, making, basically setting yourself small term or short term goals setting. It's just finding those the in- incentives that I really want. Um, I don't. Because <laughs> it is so I'm really easy. Good at convincing to be... me that I don't, myself that I don't want anything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so easy to be distracted. So I mean, if you look at my yeah. my productivity over the last maybe two years, I think I think anybody look at that and go, "Geez, that, you're so lazy. You're not actually producing anything." But I'm not. I'm always super busy, only because I'm going down these rabbit holes. And you know, learning yeah. learning is so important to me. And I found. Even this week is for me. It's been very productive this week. But even for me, I mean, you know, I've been looking at, at plastics and stuff. And it's like, oh, oh, right. So I could have a, like a recycling plant. I can make my own recycling plant. It's actually quite easy. So then I spent, you know, before now, I've, I've spent three hours on YouTube, you know, looking at ways to um, recycle plastics for my own purpose and things. And I'm like, 
what am I doing? You know, <laughs> I'm never going to do this. I'm going to outsource <laughs> this, obviously. And yeah, so right. it's, it's, it's quite hard to sort of stay on track. But yeah, I'm finding those yeah. those little rewards. And I think particularly in in the summer where there's, you know, there's, there's good stuff to do outside the shop um, really helps. Yeah. You know, actually, it's something I just thought about. And I kind of talked about this with my wife last night, actually. Um, but I, I'm... I literally have a new idea every day and you know at the end of the year that's a lot of that's a lot of new ideas yeah. for stuff and um or I'm coming up with a, you know a different Damascus pattern like yesterday I went actually my wife and I went to this Polynesian fair uh, or so, like Samoan cultural day uh, festival and I saw all kinds of traditional Samoan patterns again that inspired more ideas around Damascus patterns and so I'm constantly come up with stuff but i think maybe what i should be doing i really so when i when i have those ideas i want to start drawing them out and kind of store not storyboarding but kind of like storm brainstorming around them or if i have an idea for like a production style knife and how i would want it to look and all, i just like i i let that draw my attention and pull my attention away from what i really should be doing mm. and maybe what i should be doing is holding those things like Make a note of them so I don't forget them because I will definitely forget them. But then holding them hostage, essentially, and saying that I don't get to draw that out or I don't get to storyboard that out or, you know, content out or whatever. You know, I don't get to do those things that I would love to do and explore and go deeper in until I get this other shit done that I really need to get done, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. And I... Another good way of doing things, which which I do, is, is my wife is very, you know, very much interested in what I do and the rest of it. So she'll sense check any sort of big decision that I have to do. And because mm. I'm the same, I've always got these ideas and I want to keep doing new stuff and all this new stuff. And she's the one that sort of brings me back down and says, well, look, you know, do you really, is that more important than this? And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, so yeah, have, again, we, 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 you grounded. we talked about this only 10 minutes ago, but having, you know, somebody there who you can sort of confide in and keep you grounded is is super important for that way as well yeah yeah let's let's move we could talk about being distracted forever it could in in fact become a distraction itself yeah (laughs) (laughs) jacob dan i think it's dan hoa has has asked hey cuties i have a question what is the most game-changing knife making machine knife making machine that i could save up for he's thinking an even heat um but are they really needed um and that's mm. from jacob dan who you know <clears throat> a lot of people refer to uh you know the heat treating prospect process is when you actually are you know giving the steel it's it's spirit mm. um and that's a very nice and mystical way of thinking of it. But basically, it, it is kind of alchemy in a way where you are turning, um, you know, basically what is steel, it's decent, it's great material to work and have. But until it's actually been hardened, it's not really much of a knife or a very good tool um, unless you're using it. To, chase people around and slap them on the ass or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came. All of a sudden, I, I, Benny Hill came running through my head. Where's the gorilla suit? Anyways, um, but I think, I actually think a heat treating oven and even heat especially would be, it really is the biggest game changer that you can. You know, what Neil was talking about the other day, being able to heat treat out of a forge is awesome. Um, 
especially if, you know, for whatever reason, some, someday that all goes away. Um, but ultimately it's probably not ever going to go away. Um, at least not in our lifetime. And so I think heat treating in a, out of a kiln will really set you up for not only repeatable quality results, but also it actually gives you, when it comes to kind of like the scientific process of experimenting with your heat treating process, knowing those exact numbers that you're working with is going to make a huge difference in how you are able to adjust your the performance of your steel um you know so if that's bringing up to a higher temperature or or heat treating from a lower temperature actually or tempering at higher different temperatures or even just by adjusting it by 25 degrees you can't do that either in a conventional uh you know cooking baking oven or or out of the forge or with a torch you can't do that but with a kiln that's that's really that I've found from from myself and my experiment and experiments and experience that has really been um, how I've been able to dial in my heat treating process. Yeah, yeah, and makes a difference in how my knives perform for sure. I'd say the first eighteen months of me making knives, I was doing all my heat treat in a little little devil forge that I had. Um, oh yeah, and you know, inexperienced. Um, I was just sort of learning. You know, completely self taught, I suppose, um, but. It was always a guessing game to me, always a guessing game. And, and I couldn't quite work out why sometimes they, you know, they'd come out well, sometimes they wouldn't. And because you just don't have that accuracy. So I, you know, I know even heater responser, but even if they weren't, um, I'd say a kiln was the, the biggest sort of improvement in my work without a, without a doubt. And, and there's plenty of people who've done lots and lots of sort of done the hard work for you. You know, Kevin Cashin's a, a really good sort of resource for the heat treating yeah. where you can, you can dial in your heat treat. Um, go, go, you know, you can go try new steels as well, because there's going to be recipes out there ready and you can, you can just take them. You know, you're going to get a very decent blade out of it, but then you can also tweak it, you know, for for your own sort of purposes. Maybe you want, you know, you want something, you want something harder or you, maybe you want something softer for much harder work. There's, 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 yeah, definitely. I mean, to me, uh, a kiln is, is, is what makes you a, a professional compared to somebody who may be winging it and guessing it. Yeah. All right. This next one is from Max Bucci Knives. It says, "Hey, Cutie's gonna ask you a question. He, he, he. How do you prevent grinding? Wait, sorry. How do you prevent your grinding backplate from consume from consuming? Do you replace it? Um. So he's talking about the the hard the platen on the backside of your belt as you're grinding oh, your blade. Oh, sort of wear uh, and tear on that, right? Yeah. Yeah." Um, I, um, I've never replaced ahead. mine and I've had one grinder here for probably five, six years. Never. And up until sure. recently, that was, that was my daily grinder. Um, but my tool rest is completely adjustable. So I'm never hitting that same spot on a platen. I'm sure I have, mm. I'm sure I have, but my tool rest moves up and down. Um, and I know a lot of the, a lot of the more modern grinders now, such as the, the new one that I've got from Clarix, and I know the, I think the AMK does it as well, and the Bowman grinder, they, they, they've got these fully sort of articulating tool rests, so you, you're never stuck to that one spot. Uh, but I know people right. have used hardened glass, which scares the hell out of me, and people have used perspex, they've <laughs> used all these different types of things. But uh, personally, I've never replaced mine. Yeah. Yeah, so my first grinder I had... Or, and I still have it, and that's what I use. Uh, I actually built it myself, and the platen is only mild steel. And I've never replaced it, mm. and I've had it for 
five, five, six years now. And a lot of, I, I have, I, I have gear nerd friends who are probably cringing because they're, they're such gear nerds. They, they have, or tool nerds, they have uh, one in particular I'm thinking of, and I know he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'm not too worried about this, but, um, he has built his own water cooled platen, like hardened faced, uh, grinding platen. And, which is incredible that's and the dream. super cool. That's the dr- I've had such a nightmare this week with the platen getting too hot and I have to wait and stuff. That's the dream. For yeah, me. yeah. Um, which is really cool, but I, I've never, and, and so he's on one end of the spectrum and I'm on the other end with my dumb piece of steel and my, my mild steel platen has worked great. I, I've never taken it off and had to resurface it ever. Um, but I do think if that's something you need to do, or and it sounds like that's what his question is, you know, what do you do, or how do you prevent it from, uh, from basically getting worn out and stuff like that? So using the the versatile table like you were just talking about, so you're not, especially when you're grinding the profile, I assume using the table, um, you're not grinding in the same spot. But I think also, you know, I found I've heard that. Even hardened steel plates, like some people will do, like D two or O one, um, as as a hardened um, plate that you can use as your platen. Um, if you don't want to deal with that, you can just you know if if I did have issues with my platen, I could just take it off and surface grind it or have it surface ground or just replace it with a different piece. Um, but I, other than that, I don't really have any good questions. I, I try to use my, my platen as evenly as I possibly can. I have a long platen. It's longer than standard, uh, you know, uh, standard grinder platens through, through Beaumont or AMK or any of those other guys. Uh, I made mine extra long because I just wanted to be that way. So I had one of those guys. It's long. Yeah, no, no. The reason it's it's long is actually not because I wanted a long platen, but because I wanted a large gap between my my idling wheels at the top and the bottom, so I had plenty of room for doing all of my contouring uh, on my on my handles. And I found that grinders I've used in past the the gap for that slack belt was just too small, and I wanted more room and more flexibility, and that's why I made it so large. And therefore, I made a large platen to basically fill that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I suppose the answer is that you can get two arrests that'll use different bits, or you can just yeah. stick a stick a new one on. It's not yeah, it's not too much work. Yeah, yeah. Nick W Tanner asks, "Do you have any tips for knife design ratios, proportions, aesthetics, principles that you stick to to get a shape that is pleasing to the eye as well as functional?" I like this question. It is good. Um, you got something? Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I come from a design background as opposed to sort of a uh, a blacksmithing or metalworking background. So, um, the actual design and the aesthetics are really important important to me. So, there's there's lots of ways. I mean, you know, you could always say that you know some people may just have an eye, and I suppose you know you can train your eye to to you know to to be better and to, to, to do, you know, to have results of what you want. Um, but I think always make a mock-up and whether it's 
you know, a piece of paper that you can, you know, you, you can draw it out is the most, you know, the simplest way is a pen and paper and draw something out. But actually cut it out and maybe stick it to a piece of card. So you can, you can feel it in the hand and you can see, you know, the, the proportions, mm. that kind of thing. Um, I've taken things a few steps further. You know, the, the first thing that I did was I got one of those. Um, it was called a craft robo, and it, it, it had a. It was like a plotter, but it had a little blade, so I could design something within Illustrator. Um, and this would use a little blade and cut out almost like a like a, a laser cutter would would cut out this bit of paper to be the blade exactly how oh, I yeah. wanted it. Um, I'd then stick that to a bit of card or whatever, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd hold it and that kind of thing. Um, I've now moved on to a laser and you can cut out balsa wood very simply. Um, but yeah, I think get something physical in your hand because you could make something that could look beautiful, but that wouldn't really work. And, you know, we're all looking for that, that holy grail of something that looks beautiful and that's going to cut well and is really functional. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if you're somebody, you, you know, you consider yourself not to be, not to have an eye for design. Um, just, yeah, just, just. Just make up make up your shapes how you think a knife should be, print them out, and then make your tweaks until you find something that works for you. Sure. I, I would say, you know, I think actually when it comes to design, things can be pretty flexible. Um, but there are some things that absolutely drive me nuts when I see them. And it's, again, it, like you were saying, it's about lines and one of the things that drives me nuts is when I'm looking at like a, a hunter or a buoy or anything kind of with a guard where I see, uh, especially on one side of the guard, the blade, like the Ricasso area is a certain width. And then on the other side of the guard, the handle is a different width and that basically the line on the, on the heel or the underside of the Ricasso doesn't re- like basically continue into the handle as if the guard isn't even there mm. at all. Mm. And the same thing with the spine. If it does, if there's a step in either direction, it always throws me off. Or if it's, if it's kinked at an odd angle, it's that it doesn't seem like it should, instead of it looking like a, a, a continuous line along the spine, there's at that joint, all of a sudden, like the handle kinks up at a weird angle. Some knives are designed specifically for function to do that, and they want that. I can't think of what those are right now, but um, it just those are the things that I've I know drive me fucking bonkers when I'm looking at a knife. And so, if you hand me a knife and it's got that going on, I'm probably not going to say anything because I usually <laughs> have too visceral of a reaction, and I'm just like, <laughs> but. uh other than that, I mean, I've, I've, I've tried to build knives that I know how to use. Um, and so that's why I spend time on chef's knives and there, I mean, there are a lot of great examples of other styles of knives out there in the world, but there, obviously there are a lot of great standards to, to build off of when it comes to chef's knives. Um, but I've made some slight adjustments because like, if you look at my Western style knife, like it looks like a Western or European style knife. It does, it comes to more of a point than like a Japanese Mm or, uh, inspired knife would come to but what's what i've done is i for that profile for the european profile i've actually combined what would typically be a a japanese chef's knife pro cutting edge profile with the aesthetic of a european blade because i actually prefer the performance of kind of a japanese 
style chef's knife over uh, of the cutting edge the way it's designed everything over the european because i always find that the european uh in my experience at least for the way i use knives is that it comes up to a little bit of a too much of a curve but that pleases plenty of people and i think i think it just i don't know i think if you're not sure what to do you feel you should feel free and welcome to take inspiration from standards that are out there. Um, um, even if it's work from other makers, I think, especially if you're doing work though, from, or taking inspiration from work that other makers are well known for, uh, especially somebody like Nick Wheeler or somebody like that, something like that. You, you really should be giving some credit because, Mm. um, I think it's you're doing yourself a disservice by basically. God damn it! <laughs> I don't know what's going on in my throat right now. Excuse me. <coughs> Jesus! All right. Sound, like sound yeah, effects for Jurassic Park you were making then. I <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I remember I was talking. Oh yeah. So if you if you're taking inspiration by some from somebody like a Nick Wheeler or something like that, be for, be sure to not shoot yourself in the foot and pretend like, Oh, look at this great knife idea and design and style that I just came up with, you know, to say I I'm learning. It's, it's perfectly fair. Totally fine to say, you know, I'm just stepping into this style of knife or this is the first style of knife I'm ever making. You know, I've looked around and I really like the style of Nick Wheeler and I'm really inspired by it. So this is my take on it. Hmm. That would be, I, I think the biggest mistake and I'm getting off on a tangent, but, mistake that people make is they don't give credit from things that are very clearly inspired by other makers who have very, very distinct styles. Yella Hasenberg is another person who I see people taking very strong inspiration from and not giving him a shout out in the slightest, which is kind of, I I think he's fine. Like he's doing good, but it's just, it's more of like, it's more about how you, you taking into consideration how other knife makers perceive you. Uh, your customer base may never know who Yellow Hasenberg is, but other makers do. And if you want any respect, respect from other makers, you should be mindful of giving inspiration. But anyways, back to what he was talking about. I think that I think people get very prescriptive about you know proportions or design ratios or aesthetics and stuff like that. And I think the biggest key is. Um, especially if you're just starting, maybe take some inspiration from somebody else, um, which is totally fine. And then as you get the hang of it, then develop your own kind of your own style. Hmm. So I'll tell you what I did see this week. So, um, there's a YouTube channel called Green Beetle and he makes these great knives. Oh, yeah. and he does great tutorials, really good content on YouTube. Um, but I think it was like a sponsored episode that he did. And there's a program called knife print, um, and it's actually in a browser. It's, it's a website, but you use the browser, and you can use it almost like you would with with Illustrator or Inkscape or whatever to draw out your knife, and it'll give you, you know, okay. a CAD file, you know, all all via the browser. It's, it's really really smart. Um, oh, wow. So I mean, that's cool to be able to you know to practice different shapes, that kind of thing. But there are a bunch of templates on there which you can use as a starting point. So they'll have, you know, a classic sort of Western chef knife, which is, you know, a starting oh, point. Wow. It's a starting point. So you, you've got these little yeah. nodes, these little dots, and you can drag them around and change things and suit them to your own. And, you know, also to your equipment too, because I, I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, that little transition between the heel and the handle where people use that, yeah. you know, that little two-inch wheel at the top of the platen. 
a little drive wheel. Oh yeah, people using that, yeah, you know, sure. for that shape. So, you know, that the, the, there's constraints and things. Why people make things they do the way they do. Um, but yeah, just just practice. You use the tools that are out there, and I, th- I think this thing is called knife print. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure that they contacted me ages and ages ago. And I think this is the son of the guy that actually built my grinder in, in Greece years and years and years ago. I, th- oh. I think it's him. So, so you know, he, he knows about knives. It's, he's not just a software guy. He knows about knives. Sure. Um, so go, they're not a sponsor or anything, but go take a look. I think that could, that could help. Yeah. The next question is from – I'm going to get this wrong um, – Obsidian Goat. I think. Oh, Obs- obsidian. Obsidian goat. Jesus. <laughs> obsidian goat. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Do you guys ever regret going full-time in bladesmithing? Has it taken the joy of being creative and doing whatever you want to do when you want to do it? Mm. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I feel a little bit of regret, but that's mostly when I lose perspective. <laughs> um. I don't regret it overall. <clears throat> I think the biggest thing I regret um, might be kind of the model that I've followed, which was kind of like the traditional model of taking a bunch of orders and starting a wait list. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I come from a background of working with Bob Kramer and that's, you know, he's, his story is famous for being like, you know, this guy has a, four-year wait list or a three-year or whatever you know he's got thousands of people wanting his stuff he's got a giant wait list um and so i thought that that was the way to do things um i think if i were to start over as brand new maker um i would probably have done things on the side for a much longer period of time probably over several years until I'd built up a strong enough reputation to where I could do it full time. And that when I did go full time, that I had such demand for my work that I could just build whatever I I wanted. I have gotten to that point, but I am beholden now or not beholden, but I, that sounds terrible. I I just, I have this giant wait list uh, that at times can be a, a little daunting if I'm sitting there looking at, everything yeah and it adds pressure Uh, adds pressure doesn't it absolutely yeah but like i said that's when i start losing perspective and i start getting out of my mind and i'm just like oh my god i'm never gonna get this all done and then um i'm fortunate that my wife is really good at helping rain rain me back in and say look you just need to focus on what's in front of you right now Hmm. you're thinking too far out and so uh so that's yeah I think if I were to go, if I were to start it over, I pro- it would take longer to get to a point where, you know, you're basically getting at more a- adequately compensated for the work that you're doing. Um, and then you also have the freedom of doing whatever you want. But um, I think long, ter- long term, that's the better way to go. Because you also get to build up uh, an audience and a community around you at the same time at that slower pace. And you have all these people who are 
beside you, committed to you, and, and cheering you on as you continue to grow as a maker. And I think that's I think that's really awesome. And I think too many people want to rush into being Bob Kramer in you know the first year of their knife making, and it's just not the reality. Bob Bob had been making knives for twenty years before he became quote unquote Bob Kramer, mm. the famous knife maker that everybody knows. And that's a long ass time. That's a long grind. Mm. So. So, Amir, the question being, do do you ever regret going full-time? And no, I I don't regret it. But, you know, at times it does feel like work. We mentioned earlier that, you know, that it's not really work what we do because it's not a standard nine-to-five. But at times it really does feel like work. I mean, as I've come over this week to get as much done as I can, and the goal is productivity, much, much, as much, as much, as much as I can do. And that was yeah. a, a real, real grind. Whereas, whereas other times, you know, I get to be a bit more creative and I get to, you know, maybe slow down a bit and think things through a bit better. So, you know, I, I don't regret doing it, but it's a question that we get a lot, actually. Um, in You know, when people DM us questions at Knife Talk Podcast is, when did you go for, when was the right time to go full time? Um, and there was never, you know, I never woke up one morning and said, that's it. And, you know, Today's the day. Exactly. That never happened. And I'll be honest with you, up until about four months ago, I was still doing, uh, you know, you know, web design work on the side as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if the work's not there, you still need to bring money in. Um, but, yeah, it's only the last few months where, you know, I've, I've, I've been able to let that go. But it's, it's not easy. It's not a case of, right, I'm going to be uh, a knife maker and off I go. Because, you know, there's... As as much as I'd say there's enough customers out there for everybody, what we do is quite specialist, and the yeah. majority of people wouldn't consider our knives. The majority of people we'd meet on the street wouldn't consider our knives. Um, so it is hard to get the work in, and it is hard then to um, like 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 any any other sort of creative profession, I suppose. Work can come in in fits and spurts. So at times you're going to be overwhelmed. And at other times, you're like, well, there's there's no money coming in. What am I going to do? So it's, yeah, it's it's not, was it lightning bolts and high fives, as Jeff would say? <laughs> it, it's, it's it's not, it's, it's difficult. So if, if you are somebody, you know, in that transition of, you know, should I go full time? Um, make sure that, you, you, you know, you, you can handle yourself for six months at least, you know, if things don't yeah. go as as you'd imagine to. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly don't regret it because, you know, I do what I love and that, that's, that's a real privilege, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, let's see this next one. This next one is from TNT Forge. He says, Hey man, I have a question. Uh, I'm very new to etching Damascus and would like to know what process you found to work the best. I've been using fair chloride. And was curious at what ratio to distill water, uh, ratio of distilled water, time and solution, how many cycles, wipe, don't wipe, etc. Uh, any help would be much appreciated. Thank you. Much respect to what you guys are doing and sharing your knowledge and passion for the craft. I've definitely caught the addiction for it. Okay. So we've talked about etching Damascus quite a bit actually on the show. So I'm not going to go super deep. I'm going to try to keep it short because I been very long-winded these last few questions but anyways um for me i've been finding that i get the best results when i etch in a weaker ferric solution so standard ferric solution that most most people are 
use is a four to one ratio uh, distilled water or tap water to ferrochloride, uh, also known as PCB circuit board etchant you can find online i'm sure pretty readily and easily available um but anyways i i go quite a bit weaker than that i do a 15 to 1 ratio and basically i do that 4 to 1 ratio mix up a gallon then i pour half of it off and um and then i top it off with water and the reason it ends up with 15 to 1 ratio is because i'm i'm filling up a gallon of water or a gallon jug but i'm only using a pint of of the etchant so that's why it ends up being diluted down to that ratio but anyways i i found that i get the cleanest sharpest etches uh using that etch ratio i check it maybe every 10 15 minutes and just do a light scrub uh with a worn out piece of 2500 Grit sandpaper, 2000 grit sandpaper also works great. Um, and I just go until it's got the depth of etch that I want. I actually have started going a lot uh, or etching much shallower um, because the coffee solution or coffee treatment that I use afterwards really helps get the uh, contrast I want. Um, but I still etch for a slight depth because part of what I'm also going for. Um, which I don't think a lot of people take into consideration is actually the partial sidewall that you get with that depth etch. So not only are you getting contrasting colors, but you also get that slight little step. Mm. And when you're working with higher layer Damascus, that little step can really make certain patterns pop um, and create that chatoyance and actually kind of add an extra line in there um, that wouldn't normally be there if it was just a, f a flat surface. Um, so that let's see, do you wipe it? And blah, blah. So after I etch, I neutralize in ferric chloride um, and rinse thoroughly, and then I put it into a coffee mixture, uh, which it, you can go out there and find that coffee mixture. But it basically, it's one container to two liters of water. Um, and then I give it a, a soak for a couple hours. And that's what I do for Damascus. Um, you've have you done you've done some Damascus, right? None of none of my own Damascus. So I've had Damascus right. from other people. Bob Rankin's though. But, right? Yeah, some Bob Rankin stuff and and a few other makers. So yeah. never made my own. But I've just I just copied you. Um, what you know? You've given so much great advice about etching Damascus. And, you know, if you go back to previous episodes, you've gone really into depth about the, the whole coffee etch. Yeah. Um, but if you just look through the notes for the shows, you, you'll find that episode. Um, but no, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't add any more to that. But um, shitoyance, that's the word of the day, shitoyance. Shitoyance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do one more question, but I'm actually, I'm going to read two questions because I think the answer is going to be pretty much the same. So the, it's, the yeah. first is um, Marlborough Handcraft. Say, not sure if you cutie patooties have talked about this, but what have you found is the best way to attract customers? And also DK Renner asks, hey man, I've been making knives for a few years and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I have an Etsy page which gets traffic. I have knives at local businesses. I've even brought them to festivals and a fair, but he's only ever sold one knife. Um, he thinks his prices are fair, but he don't have, doesn't have a knife over $200. And everyone who looks says beautiful knives, but no one seems to buy them. So am I doing something wrong or is there something more I can do? So I, mm. I think they're both, it's the same question really, but, you know, how you attract yeah. customers, how you sell in knives. Sure. Um, I'll kick it off because 
um, I've had to change the way I do things. So I was in pretty much the same situation where um, it took a few years to, you know, to be happy with the knives that I was making to start selling them. Um, and then it was, it was, it was famine or feast. So sometimes you're doing, you're doing well, you'll sell a few knives and sometimes there'd be weeks go by without selling a single knife. And it's that thing of, you know, you start sharing more, you start getting a bit more desperate and maybe lowering prices. Um, but you know, if you're lowering prices, that hasn't changed the amount of work that you put into the knife. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a sort of false economy there, but I get it. There's bills to pay you need to bring money in and so on. Um, but what I found really has really sort of helped me and changed the, my my business is just by finding my own um, niche or niches, you Americans call it. So I was finding that I, I, was, I say niche. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I think that's the proper way. That's the proper way. <laughs> but I think I, I just looking at the, the sort of the sales that I had, and you know, there weren't that many at all. Um, but most were for steak knives, and that's probably because they they, they were lower cost. Um, so I thought, well, let's sort of spin things around a bit and sort of market myself as somebody who makes steak knives for restaurants because those were the bigger orders that I had. Um, and since doing that, it's been it's been crazy. So I think find find a niche, find something that you can offer that nobody else can offer, maybe. And also, I mean, down to your marketing, do something different. I mean, I'm tired of seeing, you know, the websites, you know, all black backgrounds and there's sparks everywhere. And, you know, it's just, oh, man. So, you know, my customer is, is, is restaurants and chefs. So I thought, well, I'm not, you know, the, the, the sparks and the black background and you know, the dirty hands, that, those are for, for other knife makers and for blacksmiths. So you'd want to be marketing right. to them. You want to be marketing to your customer. So I, I changed my website completely. My, my website is, is, is completely clean. It's completely white. When I take pictures of knives, there's white in the background. It, it's almost clerical because I think that's what um, chefs and restaurants want to see. They want to see clean. Right. You know, and because they're they're always concerned about their chef's whites and when they clean up the kitchen, everything's polished stainless steel. Exactly. Yeah. Re- ideally, a really nice clean kitchen. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense. that whole, you know, hand pick with, the, you know, the dirty hands and, you know, Jeff always had this thing about hand picks. They, they were terrible. <laughs> but I think th- those pictures are for showing off to other knife makers, really. Um, I, not many chefs are going to look at your knife and, you know, with your dirty hands and think, oh, that would look lovely in the kitchen. So, you know, think think of what your niche is and, and, and find out how you, you can maybe differ from the crowd a bit because, you know, there, there's a lot of knife makers out there. And if, if you're doing the same thing as everybody else, you need to be very good at, you know, it's a much, much harder sale. So, yeah, and, well, that's all I've got on that, I think. Well, what about yourself, Mark? Yeah. How do you sort of stand out from others and how are you attracting new customers? Um... I think, I, I mean, I've touched on this before, but I think I, I've used social media as kind of like a, as it, to, to be a resource for folks. Um, it actually initially started out um, by trying to educate the customer base so that um, because of, or more so because I got tired of answering the same questions over and over again. And most of them were like, you know, why is why is your knife cost what it costs? It's just a chef's knife, isn't it? So then I had to go through explaining all the different processes and everything that went into building the knife. And 
people starting to get it. And so I was like, how do I nip this in the bud so I'm not having this conversation a hundred times during a show? Um, and I realized that if I start sharing this on my social media, um, it, it could reach those potential customers uh, to help better inform them so that it's no longer a question of why, but um, whether or not they can just like they get it at that point it's a question of whether or not they can afford it um, and so I, I think well, I guess what I did to stand apart is I just I mean and I'm not the first to do this but I just started putting everything out there and explaining how I do things and sharing how I make my Damascus patterns and stuff like that and my different processes and and I think that in uh, you know, in a trade where every, you know, people do share a lot of stuff, but not very many are sharing their very specific way of doing things. I was kind of pulling back that curtain for everybody to show what's going on. And I think that's what got a lot of people's attention. And again, originally it was, it wasn't, I, I mean, I love helping other makers, but I never really thought about it as a resource for helping other makers. I thought about it for for myself selfishly so i didn't have to explain myself hundreds of times <laughs> throughout a year as, as to why my knives cost what they cost because of the work and the and everything that goes into them um but i, I so using social media as a storytelling platform i mean it and like neil was talking about a few episodes back he was you know he he <laughs> he refers to himself as a mediocre knife maker but what he's done that's very special is i mean one he's got a very unique just his own personal look um being of japanese descent and being from hawaii and so he's got this whole lifestyle thing around him as well but there are a lot of people with that but what he's done an incredible job of is letting people uh into his life in in a in a way that's very personal mm. um and telling his story and being very transparent and that i think that transparency is what's key and i think you know there i keep talking about how social media is an opportunity to reach your customers and i think the the way it's you reach your customers is just by being you and helping your customers cuz people are calling through Instagram accounts and knife makers every day. And what they ultimately are going to want is to find somebody that they connect with personally. Um, and it, Seth Godin actually has a really great book. And uh, I, I believe it's his, uh, this is marketing book, but, or otherwise it's tribe. Both are really great books. Go listen to them or buy the books. They're awesome. But he's talking about how, you know, what basically what, people are buying is you and you have to do a good job telling your story and what makes you unique. And, you know, people, I think, I think a lot of customers now assume that the work is good. It's just a question of whether they want to buy from you or this other person when it comes to, if you, if you're trying to do it based on like price points, you know, my knife is a better price than this and I handmade it and blah, blah, blah. But th that works for, for a certain number of people and apparently it's only worked for one person uh for dk but um but really the the big kicker is people want to buy from somebody they can relate to some a brand they can relate to like there's a reason people buy coca-cola or ford uh and it's because those brands have done a good job telling 
and sharing a narrative and then people are connecting with that narrative. And so I think the biggest key is just being yourself and and then uh, giving people an opportunity to connect with you. And the greatest opportunity is going to be through social media by sharing it there because uh, you have that archive, your Instagram uh, page will sh- shows all of your past work, past posts, and everything. And um, so, I think also there's a weird, there's a psychology that I still don't completely understand around pricing. And you know, if if my knives were sold for two, if I was trying to sell my knives for two hundred dollars, people would really like them and appreciate them and say, wow, that looks, that's a really great looking knife. But the psychology part comes in where they say, that looks like a really great knife. Why is it only two hundred dollars? There must be something wrong with it. And my wife actually, who did a lot of international sales, um, for graphic design company many years ago, she actually helped enlighten me to this um, kind of this issue is undervaluing yourself and undervaluing your time translates into when it comes to the customer, them not only also not valuing you because if people start buying you at $200, then that's what they're going to expect forever. Basically. Um, it's hard to push prices up um, in, a, in our commoditized world. But I think the, the, the psychology around pricing is also really important as to, you know, people perceiving something as um, or, or valuing it less when it's not valued by the maker in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Price wise. Um, I don't know. It's hard to articulate, but. But yeah, just figuring that out and realistically, like maybe selling a knife for 200, I I haven't looked at them, but I think realistically most makers could get away with starting off around 3 to 500 dollars at least, uh especially if they're doing very pretty solid work. Um and then as you build brand and reputation, then you can start pushing up the price points. Um, to kind of satisfy the the kind of the economy of uh, you know supply and demand, but uh, mm. yeah, two hundred dollars seems like it seems like a low price point, and and again, I'd have to look at his stuff, but I I I bet if he pushed up his prices even another hundred dollars to three hundred dollars, then people would look at them more seriously. Um, because there's also the the other part of that psychology is people people want to brag about the things that they buy, and <laughs> um, it sounds weird, but when people spend a lot of money on something, or at least what feels like a lot of money to them, they want to. That's a talking point for mm, them. Yeah, and so. <laughs> when you have something really rad and then you tell somebody, Oh, I spent, you know, even if it was $50 on something that maybe should have probably been $300, people aren't really like blown away by it. But if, if I don't know, I just, I feel like there's, there's like a level of status that goes along with saying, Oh, I paid $300 for this beautifully crafted, blah, 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 blah. Um, and there's there's more power to it. There's more value to it there um, for people to be able to share that. Um, and also, it's people want to support quality craft. 
I think that's the other thing to think about is like we're not a commodity. People want to support quality, well-made, crafted things because especially if you've done a good job they, they and you've done a good job telling them the process, then they understand and appreciate that it's, it's not a commodity. It, this is something that can last literally for the rest of their life. Um, and when they think about it more in those terms, then they're happy to pay what your work is worth. Hmm. I mean, I'm looking at the question again from DK Ren there. <clears throat> um, I mean, maybe that's the thing. There's no, there's no story with his knives. They're they're up on Etsy, so he can't really sell himself very well on Etsy. You know, it's list, it's list yeah. listing your product. So maybe you know, again, there's going to be a well, it can be a very, very little cost involved. Get a site up with more sort of about you and about your process, and, and then people can see what they're buying into. As opposed to just seeing yeah. a you know a, pr- a product image, um, but you also mentioned that you, you you know you take them to fairs and you know you've shown people and they say they're beautiful but no one's buying them. Well, you know, it'd be quite simple. Just ask them why. Say you know, is this the kind of knife that you'd like? You know, what what do you like about what don't you like about this? And then you know you, you're starting to get that that sort of communication with them. And we've talked in the past yeah. about you know, myself and Marek will both do both do culinary knives. So, you know, when we both, and I know Jeff has done it as well, we, you know, we've spoken to chefs and we've, we've been with them when they've used the knife. So we know, you know, there, there may be something you're not quite getting right, which which they could help. So, again, I don't know what kind of knife you do, but there's, you know, there's going to be a distinct audience for your knife. So go to those people and find out, you know, if there is an issue with the knives and maybe, you know, maybe it could be something blindingly obvious that you haven't seen that they, you know, he's like, ah, like you know, the, the light bulb will go off, and then and then you're away. So yeah, I mean, don't be too disheartened, you know. Carry on, but you know, just a couple of things there, you, you know. As I say, have a site where you can you can tell your story, you can share your process, you can point people to, um, and and just ask people if if you if you're out there showing people, ask them, you know, what that's not a bad question to ask. What you know, what don't you like about this knife? Is you know it's quite a nice nice question to ask. No. What do you think, Jeff? Well, if this is come oh. on, this is this sucks. Oh, okay, okay. Moving on, moving on. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're gonna make quality knives that people are gonna want to spend thousands of dollars on, you gotta work with good steel. And uh, our next sponsor for is New Jersey Steel Baron. Let me say that again more clearly. Our <laughs> our next sponsor is the New Jersey Steel Baron. This is the Brunos. They're in New Jersey, uh, and you know they're they are an incredible resource for quality steels that many of the the best makers that I know get their steel from New Jersey Steel Baron. Um, you know they get their materials. Um, in batch, usually in large shipments of sheets or, or quantities, and so along with those come certs. So they have all the information about that steel, and based off that information, uh, you know they can make well-informed uh, calls on how to heat treat those steels. And so they got all you know they got people on hand. Mister uh, Mister Ed Braun is kind of their their heat treating guru, and uh, you know he'll he'll answer questions or you know they got the information for you. When it comes to making the optimal or, you know, heat treating for optimal performance. But as I said, they get it in most of their material in in large sheets. They can cut material down in all kinds of dimensions that you want. 
because uh, they got they got bandsaw as well as they got a water jetting system there. And talking about the water jetting, if you want to get a batch of knives done, if you want to do a production run, uh, and you want to save yourself some time. Getting the ordering the steel from New Jersey Steel Baron and having them do the water jetting all in one place helps save kind of the the cost mm-hmm. of you know sourcing basically do two different people to do that or two different companies to do that so you can get it all done in one place they are still apparently working on their website and it's going to be coming soon as well as with some discounts uh, i'm sure they they uh at least that was the original <laughs> idea uh that things were going to be gone uh anyhow so get a hold of new jersey steel baron they're going to take care of you they get you know they you know they hook up jeff they hook up you know uh, they they take care of all of us. They take care of the community. They're a big part of the community, uh, especially um, when it gets comes to getting good quality steel to the best makers around. That includes you. Get some steel. Go check out New Jersey Steel Baron, uh, and they got you. They got you. Cool. Craig's Community Showcase. Okay, this is the bit of the show where we like to give a shout-out to a maker or a product or something that um, we think needs needs shouting about. And we've got this platform where we can hopefully raise awareness to either the person or the product, whatever it may be. I'm going to kick things off, and mine actually isn't traditionally we use like an Instagram at account and people can go there and follow them, look at the work and so on. Um, but this one, they, mm. they don't actually have an account. So it, it's a hashtag. And if you put this in, you'll be able to see stuff. So it's precious plastics. So I've been, had a sort of a, a deep dive into plastic recycling and stuff this week because um, that's how the handles of my knives are going to be for, the, for this certain run. Um, complete rabbit hole. Uh, but came across this guy called Dave Hackens. Um, and some of you may know, years and years ago, there was this, there was this Kickstarter project called Phone Blocks. And the idea was it was a mobile phone, but it had all these sort of modular bits and you could put them together, almost like Lego, and this phone would last forever and you could upgrade bits and so on. Um, so this guy was like massively into um, you know, saving the planet and making sure we're not just making more crap that goes into landfill. But his latest project, which he's been working on for some time now, is is called Precious Plastics. And what he's shown people to do is showing people how to recycle plastics um, for their own use, to to make new products or whatever it may be. And the the stuff he's got, so preciousplastics.com, he's put up this site, and he's made machines to shred plastic. He's made machines to make your own injection moldings. Um, compression machines and he's put up the plans for all these things so people can just go and and recycle plastic from their own house and make new products and it's just it's just so inspiring so inspiring particularly in this time where i think we're all much more aware of the plastic that we use that kind of thing so this isn't well in a way it is knife related because it's 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 you know that as i said handles on a project that i'm working with will will use these recycled plastics but it's just it's a rabbit hole that you can go down um this guy is just a complete complete maverick in what he's doing he's going to places in africa um he's showing them how they can take these plastics water bottles and so on and make dishes and bowls with with these machines these that he's you know very heath robinson these sort of handmade machines that are recycling these plastics so so go go take a look at precious plastics and that's just the hashtag on instagram 
Nice. Well, I'd like to show some love to Harvey Dean. Harvey Dean is an ABS master smith. He's, uh, he's been around for quite a long time. He's actually on the board. Uh, he's harvey.dean.knives. Um, actually, Neil referred to Harvey a couple, you know, when he was on the episode last. But Harvey Dean is a phenomenal knife maker. He's he's an old school guy, but he does all kinds of stuff from bowies to folders to he does his own engraving. Um, everything he does is really really incredible. And he's actually part of the reason I'm really uh, I've 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 been aware of him and his work for a long time, but I haven't really dug deep into it until recently. Um, but he's actually working on a collaboration with Josh Smith, uh, who's Josh Smith Knives, uh, and he, because they were both, uh, Harvey was up in Montana for a show, he popped over to Josh's, they started doing a collaboration, they're doing something with some sort of twisted Damascus, I'm really excited to see what they got come, coming out, but um, both of those guys, super talented, but Harvey Dean, he's just, he's kind of uh, at least in uh, in in the, the history, I guess, of the rebirth of American knife making, uh, Harvey's a little bit of a living legend, just because you know he's just been he he's been around doing this for such a long time, and he does such high quality work. Um, so if you don't follow him, go give him a follow, uh, show him some love and support, keep an eye open on the stuff that he's doing because uh, he does really incredible. stuff work he also he teaches at a lot of the hammer ins and attends a lot of the hammer ins uh that are happening around the united states especially the abs sanctioned ones being a uh chairman uh you know the chairman of the society um so he's 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 out there doing some great stuff you gotta go give him give him a uh follow thank you so much harvey.dean.knives yeah what do you think jeff have you got one Please, stop the madness. I'm begging you. It's enough already. You miserable, <laughs> miserable old man, you. <laughs> so I think that's a show. I think that's a show. We managed to do it without Jeff. He's not needed. He's surplus to requirements. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. No, we, no we've I missed mean, him. We've missed sound... him massively. We've missed him. So it, No, I think the sound bites was plenty. Yeah, that's enough, isn't it? That, we should just have a Jeff bot, and we'll just have little sound bots. A Jeff bot. Yeah, a little sound bots oh from God. Jeff. That's enough for anyone. <laughs> the Jeff, be careful, that Jeff bot might start sending sexy Instagram messages to you. Hey, hey cuties, yeah. But I think, I think that's a show. So I think Jeff's back next week, so the three amigos will be, will be out in force. Um, remember to follow our community showcases. Remember about the forum that's on the website. Um, and I think that's it. We shall speak to you next week.